0: Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we turn to this letter, we pray that we would hear you speak to us, that you would challenge us and help us. And Father, we pray that your word and your spirit would help us to see the glorious riches that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I, I want to ask you a question. I've been thinking about this question and I've been challenging myself with it. As you look around at other Christians, what do you think they have that you don't? Or maybe put it another way. As you're thinking of yourself, how can I be a more complete Christian? What is it that I need, that I lack? What's the things that I should be doing? Or maybe you think it like this, to be a more complete Christian I need to have a deeper experience with God or a greater sense of his part, work in and through me. I wonder if you've ever had those thoughts or if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're exploring it at the minute. Thank you for coming. But this message is for you as well. Because what do you think you need in order to say that you're complete or fulfilled? See, this message that Paul writes to this church in Colossae is for all of us. And he's going to tell us that completeness, fullness, can only be found in Jesus Christ. And if you have Jesus, then you have all you need. You have all you need. So he's going to say the way to begin in the Christian life is only in Jesus and the way you continue in the Christian life to grow in maturity is in Jesus. Or as somebody help put it, the way in is the way on. The way into the Christian life through Jesus is the way on. In the Christian life, it's Jesus. Christ is supreme and he is sufficient. All fullness is to be found in him. Now, that being the case, you might ask, well, Why does that matter? So what? Well, it mattered to the Colossians because false teachers had come in. They'd come into the church fellowship, and they'd been teaching them that real fullness was to be found in Jesus, yes, but there were other things you needed to add as well. Now, we need to be careful, and I need to say straight out, we don't fully have what the false teachers were teaching, But through this reading of this letter, we can see that there were legalistic Jewish elements to it. Talk about circumcision. There's talk about festivals and food laws. There was also talk about spiritual experiences. Worshipping angels. To put it more simply, these false teachers seemed to be quite spiritual. Uh, They seemed to be close to the truth so that there wasn't anything glaringly, absolutely obvious that the colossian church went heretics and run away there was something close to the truth the colossians said yeah yeah there's something close to this yeah that's that sounds like the gospel but really they were saying real fullness was only in jesus plus you had to add see jesus is great to start with of course But to really grow in maturity, you need to have these set of rules. You need to observe these festivals. You need to abstain from these foods, these drinks, these activities. And Jesus is great to start with. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yes, we start in Jesus. But to move on to maturity, these false teachers would have said, you need to have this sort of vision or this spiritual experience. And I wonder if that message connects with you. If... In that speaking, the Spirit's telling you, well, your Jesus is, or your faith is Jesus plus. You might think, Well, yes, I'm a Christian, but 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 there must be more. You're, 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 you're tempted to add to Jesus. But Colossians is a really encouraging letter because it reminds us that fullness is only found in Christ. Only in Jesus. And only in him will we grow in maturity. And Paul is writing to this young church, he's telling them that their faith is the real deal. He's also writing to them to encourage them to stick with it and to pursue growth in Jesus. And I hope as we study this letter that we too find it encouraging in our Christian growth. At the start of a new year, what a, what a great resolution to make. That by the, this January and the next December that we'll grow in Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Be amazing. So let's look uh, at our Bible reading. Uh, and as I said, that the Christian life, the way in is the way on. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at. The way in is what we're going to look at first tonight. How we begin the Christian life. But then we're going to see the way on because Colossians is about growing. Growing in maturity. We don't just get saved and then we're stuck there. And the real encouragement of the Colossians is that all you need for the spiritual life and growth is in christ that's the encouragement but with every encouragement the bible gives us a challenge the encouragement is that all you need to do is grow is to be in christ but the challenge is this all you need for spiritual life and growth to maturity is yours in christ so get on and grow if you have all you need just get on and grow don't be lazy with the riches that are yours in Christ. Don't get bored in pursuing growth in Christ. And don't start looking anywhere else for fullness because there's nowhere else worth looking at. Now we'll get to that later, but let's think of our first point. And it's giving thanks for a true starting Christ. Paul begins this letter by letting them see that he's giving thanks to God for their beginnings. And he also lets them see why it is that he's thanking God. He's thanking God for the Colossians' genuine faith in the lord jesus christ my true beginnings are very important in this letter we can see that from from i said those key verses if you want to flick on just over the page to verses six and seven at the top of page eight three four where paul writes so then just as you received christ jesus as lord continue to live in him rooted and built up in him strengthen the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness The point here is that Paul is making is that the way that Christ- the Colossians began is the way that they are continue to grow. See, the false teachers were saying there's something extra, some extra experience, some extra set of rules that the believers needed in order to be the real deal. In order to be real Christians, they needed something more than they'd received. And Paul says, no, 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 no. He re-encourages them and he reassures them that they've heard the true gospel From a faithful messenger. And the response to that. Has been true Christian faith. And Paul is getting them. And us to see that they. They already have in Christ. All that they need. And they give thanks for that. And Paul gives thanks. And he's showing the Colossians. And us how we should give thanks. And the sort of things that we should give thanks to God for. Maybe you're here this evening. You're not a Christian. But you've been looking into it. Well why not look here about. What Paul says real Christians look like, you might get a bit of a shock. And for those of us who are already Christians, why not look again at what we already have in Christ? And see here, that there is so much to give thanks for, so much to be encouraged about. Because one of the applications we're going to come across again and again as we look at this letter is the way that gratitude for all that we have in Christ is a safeguard against the sort of dissatisfaction that makes us susceptible to false teaching. Let me put it another way. If I'm not satisfied at home with my wife, what do you think I'll do? There you go. See, in the Christian life, if we don't find our satisfaction in Christ, we will wander. We are spiritual adulterers. We do it all the time. We need to give thanks for all that we have in Christ. We need to give thanks over and over and over again because being thankful to God is, is, is such a safeguard against false teaching. The, false, the sort of false teaching that says that real Christianity is just something more than simple trust in Jesus. And Paul comes at, combats that false spirituality by saying again and again, again, look, look at all you have in Christ. Remember who Jesus is. Look how amazing he is. Remember how it is to, amazing it is to be a Christian. See, if we really understood, if we got to the grips, if we even started to, to delve a little bit deeper into what it means to be in Jesus, then when anybody else came along and said to us, Well, you need Jesus, plus we'd say, On your bike. Clear off. I am so happy here. Why would I need to move anywhere else? I have all that I need in Christ. But let's look at our pastors. Let's get into it. Verses three to five. And we'll learn that true Christian beginnings are marked by three things, which are a triad that Paul says over and over his letters. If you read any of his letters, Ephesians and Galatians, Colossians here, Philippians, you'll, you'll hear these three words. Faith, love, hope. Or faith, hope, and love. He puts them in different ways. First of all, he says, i want to give thanks for your faith your faith in christ and faith in christ is a fundamental marker of true christian experience if you've got that then you have everything you ever need see the key thing here about faith is people say to me i wish i had your faith and i go "Uh, uh-uh. no you don't because if you really 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 knew me you'd be shocked what you want is the object of my faith because faith I mean, we can say I I, I have faith to to stand on the top of this chair and jump up and down with my fourteen stones as it is now, right? And that chair will just crumble. It's not worthy. It's not a worthy object of my faith. There's only one true, worthy place where we should put our faith. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. See. And faith in Christ is simply trusting him. Trusting that his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension are enough. They're sufficient for salvation. And I'm sure if I were to ask any of you, as I ask myself, are there times when my faith is stronger or weaker in Christ, we'd all go, yes. Yeah, it is. But notice what Paul says here. He says that feelings aren't the most reliable indicators of how things are. The key thing about faith is the object of that faith, if it's in Christ, even weak faith in a strong Jesus will save. Strong faith in a false saviour won't. Let's use another analogy. Think about this. If I fall off a cliff and I see a branch and I reach out to grab it, what's most important? If that branch is going to save me, Or if that branch is strong or weak. What matters? If the branch is weak and dead, it doesn't matter how much I think it might help save me if I think my faith is going to be great. See, only faith in anything that's going to save or anyone that's going to save is is worth my faith. The only one who can save is Jesus. And that's the heart of the gospel Paul is giving thanks for. And then he talks about their love. Not just romantic love. We're heading towards February, remember. But the love he's talking about is the love for all the saints. Do you see there in verses 3 to 4, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. See, the object of faith, your faith in Christ Jesus. And of the love you have for all the saints. Now this is where some people get a wee bit mixed up. Saints aren't Teresa. Or when you go to your Roman Catholic friends and they show you all these pious, whatever it is. I'm not knocking that, but but saints in the Bible are God's people. In fact, some of the translation, if you have an ASV there or an NIV, some other translation or a different NIV translation, it actually says God's people. So it says, and the love you have for all of God's people. So saints are people who have been called out by God and set apart for the life of worship to him. And if you're a Christian, whether you think of it or not, currently In this room, you're surrounded by saints. Whether Lisa would like to believe it or not, every night she has dinner with a saint. (laughs) Saint Brian. And Paul says that the love for the family of God is a marker of true Christian beginnings. We will love one another and we will love our brothers and sisters throughout the world. So when we see our brothers and sisters suffer in Australia... We pray for them, we give. We weep when we see our brothers and sisters being persecuted in Nigeria. We cry. We pray, we have God have mercy. That's why important that we have these Christian relationships here in Ireland and further afield. That's why it's so, so important to see what God is doing throughout his world in and through his saints. And last of all, hope, verses four and five. And the hope that Paul is talking about is eternal hope. Heavenly hope. He says, uh, verse 4, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from, let's see where it springs from, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you already heard about in the word of truth of the gospel. See, this hope, 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 And why is it hope that leads to faith and love? Well, it's the truth that most great things that Christ has won for us will not get them yet. They're waiting for us in heaven. Funny little thing happened in the wedding on Friday with Matthew and Aaron. There's a little bit in the service. It's actually, it's Hollywood where it says, you may now kiss the bride. It's not in service at all. But usually it's that bit, you know, where you say, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And you whisper down to the groom, "You can snog her now. <laughs> right? And, and, and so that didn't happen in the service. And so we were about to sing another song and Matthew's face was looking all dejected. <laughs> He's like, oh, what's going on here? And so, so the bishop, Bishop Farron Glenfield, who was leading the service said, uh, what's wrong, Matthew? He said, I haven't kissed my new bride. And he said, well, we as Christians believe in delayed satisfaction. <laughs> so you've been delayed enough, now be satisfied. <laughs> and as Christians, we believe in delayed satisfaction. The best is yet to come. And we have to keep our eyes fixed on that. And I know that's the real true place where we live. Christian life is not one that's looking always Backwards looking always at the things that have gone wrong or the times that we've been hurt the christian life is one that's lived forward in hope and we need reminded of that because there are some situations that happen to us that hold us into the present or, or or capture us for the past and we can't be as often we don't allow ourselves to move forward and here in this letter these false teachers were We're lying to these Christians, telling them that they could get a better experience of God in this life than they could in the next. And to stop us being disappointed or frustrated with our Christian lives, we need to understand that the best is yet to come. That life is to be lived for. What what a great news at the start of a new year, that no matter what happened in the year before or the year before that, That 2020, we're getting closer to being with Christ. And this is real hope, not a wishy-washy hope, not a a hope it's nice weather tomorrow, hope the children don't cry when they go back to school, or hope everybody gets all right and nobody's grumpy in the morning when we're trying to get out first thing, as everybody starts kicking back into work. No, this hope is more certain. And Paul writes about it in verse 27, as the hope of glory, the hope of being with Christ forever. The hope of seeing him face to face as you see me and I see you. And Paul sees that in the Colossians as he sees their faith in Jesus and the love they have for the saints. And we should, should give thanks to God when we see signs of faith, hope, and love in believers, no matter where we see it. Signs of true Christian beginnings. And Paul wants them to see that they believe the true gospel brought to them by a true faithful messenger, Epaphras. Look at that in verses 5 to 8. He says, The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul's saying here that they've not Believed in an effective or deficient gospel. Epaphras didn't miss anything out. There's not something that they've lacked in. They have heard and they've believed in the word of truth. And from the moment they've believed, it has been bearing fruit in their lives, just as it does today throughout the world. See, being a Christian means hearing and believing the word of truth, the gospel. Now, I know what I've said tonight has been pretty basic stuff. And that's true because what Paul's saying here is pretty basic stuff. But it's important to get these things straight in our minds. Because what was being presented in Colossae must have been something that seemed attractive, it must have seemed plausible. Because, as I said at the start, if it was blatantly anti-Christian, the church wouldn't have sucked it in for a second. But it was tempting. It looked really good. These spiritual leaders that talked about festivals and incredible spiritual experiences, vision, worshipping with the angels. Well, a young Christian or a satisfied Christian, it would have looked pretty good. And so we need to guard ourselves. And I wonder if you're any of those types of categories apply to you? We need to be wary. Perhaps you've heard about Jesus again and again and again and you're bored, truth be told. Maybe you've plateaued in your spiritual growth, you've been kind of cruising along for the last few years or last few months or whatever it might be. And you're looking for something new, something exciting. Something interesting will stimulate you. Well, There's a warning. There's a real warning here of seeking anything or anyone for spiritual growth save Christ. Because there is no real growth apart from him. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone in the wrong direction, you haven't made progress. Progress without Christ isn't progress, it's departure from the gospel. Now, I might suggest for those of us who get bored with the same old, same old of the Christian life, might I suggest, as I challenge myself this week and as I've challenged myself tonight as I read these words, that you and I have settled for a far too small picture of Jesus. I think that's the problem. Our Jesus is far too small. See, as the Bible presents the truth of Christ, there are boundless riches and treasures that will keep all of God's people satisfied for eternity. Do you know, I am as thick as chump. And how dare I ever suggest to God that with my limited mind and slow heart, do I think I'll be able to master the whole of the gospel? Do I think in the, who knows, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that God will give me here on this earth, that'll exhaust the inexpressible riches of Jesus Christ. How arrogant. How arrogant. There's no way I'll be able to do that. And yet Paul knows there's a risk in our arrogance and our spiritual stupidity. There's a possibility that in Colossae and here we'll be drawn away because we think, I know it all. And So Paul takes this church back to their true beginning in Christ, for a true Christian experience looks like this. It looks like faith in Christ. It looks like love for one another, believers. We we love the saints. And it looks like people who hope in heaven. It looks like hearing the word of truth and believing it. It looks like bearing fruit. It looks like growing. And none of that happens apart from Christ. It happens in Christ. And so let's be encouraged and give thanks for the true Christian beginnings when we see them. Let's be assured and be thankful. And then the second point I want to look at tonight is keeping going in Christ. It's worth asking another question if we start this point. We had a question at the start of the sermon. Let's have a question now. If all the fullness belongs to believers already in Christ, does that mean we can just sit back, lie back, know it all, have it all, and just sit here, let everything else happen? I have all the fullness of Christ. There it is all in the Bible. Got it. Don't need to do anything. Is Paul writing this letter to the Colossians and saying, well done. Well done you. You've got it all. You've done it. Well done. Well, you probably guess that the answer to that question, both those questions, are no. Why? Well, what Paul is saying to them here is that if these Colossians are looking for spiritual growth, then they don't need to look anywhere else but Christ. But they still ought to be seeking. For spiritual growth is good and we need to be hungry for it. And Paul wants the church to grow to maturity. And he wants them to grow, uh, their growth to be consistent with their beginning in Christ. He wants them to keep on keeping on. And Paul wants them to grow maturity in Christ. And that's what he's been praying for. Look at verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the adherence of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Paul is praying here for fullness in Christ, and he starts the letter with "What they've got, you've got the real thing." And what he does now is he says, "Well, keep on pursuing growth in the real thing." He lets them know what he's praying for because he wants their living and their thinking to be shaped by what he's praying for. And I wonder, as you read the prayer, whether you see the fullness fill all every language here in these verses. Paul will use those types of words quite often in Colossians. But just look again as you read through uh, verses uh, 9 and 10. Until you ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understand that spirit gives, he wants them, first 10, to live a life worthy of the Lord, to please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And he asks that they be strengthened with all power, so that they may have great endurance and patience. And the point is that this fullness Paul is praying for is all-encompassing. Every part of life is involved in this picture of maturity in Christ. And let's look here what maturity in Christ looks like, because often we get this wrong. It looks like wisdom and understanding. It looks like walking away that is worthy of the Lord. It looks like good works increasing in knowledge of God. It looks like endurance and patience, giving thanks to God the Father. And I wonder if that's what we think when we think of Christian maturity. Is that what we pray for? For this church, for one another, for ourselves. As we look at this maturity, I want to just very quickly go three, three markers. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, being strengthful, while and giving thanks to the Father. So let's look at verses 9 to 10. Paul's focus is that the believers would walk, that's live, in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's heard of their faith in Christ. He's been praying that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will and wisdom and understanding. And why? Verse 10, so you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now, whatever your view might be of seeking the Lord's will and how that impacts your prayers, you can never get away from the Bible's view that the Lord's will for his people is primarily related to the moral character of their lives. God, show me what your will is. I want you to be holy. God, do you want me to be a doctor? Or do you want me to be a dentist? Or do you want me to be this? I want you to be holy. I want you to live a good life. A holy life. See, when we ask God about his will, is it only to have peace in the big decisions of life? Lord, do you want me to... To live there, or or do you want me to buy this house, or do you want me to do this, or do you want me to take my children to this school, or do you want me to do that or whatever? Which of course we do need to pray about. But primarily are we praying that we would cease the chance we would seize the chances, should I say, for good works which please God, that we might grow in the knowledge of God. Because Paul's expectation of each one of us here at Colossae and here is that if we're a Christian, our lives are one of growth, growing in Christ. So he says, get going and get growing towards maturity in Christ. That's a good thing for us to pray. And the next thing he prays for is that to be strengthened with all power. And if you look at verse 11, I want to ask you, read verse 11 for yourself. And I wonder, is that a bit of an anticlimax for you? Read verse 11 there. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That sounds good, doesn't it? Power might so what do we got it for see you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light it seems a bit bizarre doesn't it paul's praying that colossians be strengthened with all power according to the might of god and why does he do that what's the great power of god and the might of god going to do well it's that we keep on keeping on That we just endure another day, that we're going to be patient, that we're going to do with joy. You really think, do I need all of God's power to do that? Perhaps seems a bit boring, but it's true to life, isn't it? Because most of us here, I guess, aren't going to have spiritual visions of angels in heaven or extra special knowledge from the Lord but we all will have to endure difficult situations. And we all will have to be patient with difficult people, like me. And we'll all struggle to do that with joy, won't we? So we do need God's power at work within us with all power. Paul knows that. And so is that how we pray in difficult situations situations with difficult people? Because I know when I hit difficult situations and I hit difficult people, my first prayer is this, God, get me out of there. I wonder, do you do that too? I don't pray, help me to it with joy. God might answer that prayer, get me out of there. But if he doesn't, Christian maturity looks like joyful patience and endurance. And boy, do I need the Spirit's power to do that. And you might not think you can do it, but Paul says that in Christ, you can. By the glorious might of God, I'd work you in, in with all power. It's not some glid statement to say that in Christ, you really do have all you need. And very quickly before we finish, just look down verses 12 to 14. And what we see there is that Christian maturity is shown in our thankfulness to the Father. We said earlier that thankfulness in Christ will guard us against dissatisfaction that makes false teaching look appealing, that that we might be dissatisfied with Christ, and might wander away. And Paul reminds us of the things that are that we have in Christ for which we should be thankful. Just just read along with me as I as I read from verse twelve, and look how much Paul has compacted just into three little verses. He is a. a A wonder theologian here of how I'm putting God's truth in what we have in Christ. Let's read from verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, why? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. As I've said, faith in Christ is the fundamental mark of the true Christian experience. And when we read in light of these verses, we should see how wonderful that faith in Christ is. It's a miracle of God. Because faith in Christ, get this, means that you've been delivered out of the domain and darkness under the power of the devil. And you've been delivered. God has kind of Amazon primed packaged you. At that moment, you put your faith in Christ. Not even the, the next day. It's even quicker than that. That moment you place your faith in Christ. Whoop! You're in the kingdom of the Son. You're in the kingdom of the Son. Because Christ has bought you with a price. He bought you with the price of his own blood on the cross. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. Do you see how wonderful this stuff is? If you just stop and pause and read it and think and pray. Then I mean, even those three little verses would have us for, for at least a couple of months just going, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And So are we giving thanks for all that we have in Christ? When we're tempted by things that add to the Christian life, have we really looked at the riches that we already have in, in Jesus? Are we like my, uh, my, my little boy Elijah who's getting, you know, he's just had Christmas. So he's got this mountain of presents just there. Tomorrow's his birthday, so today his family come down with another load of presents. And those Christmas presents seem as if they're a mile off. And I think it's the same with us. We've got all these riches in Christ, but because they've been sitting around us for so long as Christians, we're bored of them. We shouldn't be. Thanksgiving for all that we have in Christ, and all he's done for us, is a marker of mature Christianity. it's a safeguard against being taken in by false teaching none of us hear this none of us will ever be beyond the need of saying thank you to jesus for dying on the cross for us we will never ever get in the point of our lives where we'll be able to pass just saying thank you thank you thank you jesus So fullness in Christ is not just for the few, it is for every Christian. And maturity in Christ, it's what every Christian should be reaching for, praying for, working for. And Colossians tells us that fullness is ours in Christ. We don't need to look anywhere else. So I want to go back to that question we asked at the start of the sermon. What one thing do you think you need to be a better Christian? Well, Paul says... It's not a thing, it's a person. It's Jesus. All fullness is found in him. And true spiritual beginnings are found in him, growth to maturity is found in him. So stay in him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would teach us that all we need is Christ. And that in Christ we would be marked by faith. Faith in Jesus. Love for the saints. And hope in heaven would mark out our lives. And we pray that having started our life with Christ, we would... Keep on going in Christ, not distracted from the lies and false truths that are all around us. Not thinking we need anything more or anything less. And that we would walk, we would live in a manner worthy of you, Lord. Being strengthened with all power just to keep on keeping on in Jesus. Dealing with every hardship, bringing it back to you and saying, Lord, give me the strength. Help me to live out my Christian life even through this difficult time. And minute by minute, and hour by hour, and day by day, may we give thanks to you, Heavenly Father, for all that we have in Christ. Open our eyes to the riches that you've given us in the Lord Jesus. And may our hearts sing your praise. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.